Welcome to Stress-Free IEP. You do not need to do it all alone. With your host, Francis Schefter, Principal of Schefter Law. You can get more details and catch prior episodes at www.schefterlaw.com. The Stress-Free IEP video podcast is also posted on YouTube and LinkedIn. And you can listen to episodes through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Now, here's the host of Stress-Free IEP, Francis Schefter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm so excited today. We have Melissa McCall, who is the owner of Moving Little Minds, and she's based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, um, but can do virtual everywhere. So, Melissa, introduce yourself. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Yes. Hi, my name is Melissa McCall and I'm with Moving Little Minds. So I am dedicated to early literacy for young children, specifically preschoolers. I'm a preschool literacy teacher as well. So I put a lot of my literacy practices into play in the classroom and I might do a lot of professional development here in Charlotte and virtually as well. So I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. And I'm excited to have you because my teaching career started with early childhood. So I was kindergarten and I did a lot of preschool work and stuff. So it's always been interesting to me. I mean, besides the fact that a lot of times I think our country's push, well, Montgomery County at least, pushes our kids to reading too too fast. Mm -hmm. But there's all that pre-reading stuff that we can do that helps, right? Exactly. And that's exactly my mission. So um, a lot of the times, I don't know, I'm sure you know about the science of reading, but a lot of preschool parents and teachers know nothing about it. And um, no, I don't think children should read yet, but there's so many fun, easy things like phonological awareness and fun games that we can do earlier um, that will prepare them. So then they get to kindergarten and first grade and they're not struggling. So that's my big mission. Yeah, I know science of reading, but is it something you could do a brief for all our listeners? Absolutely. Um, So basically what we have found, um, 68% of fourth graders in the U.S. cannot read. They are not proficient in reading. So there has been a huge push as we've looked into it. They found, guess what? We are not teaching children the proper way to read. Um, I used to teach kindergarten and they would get a box of books and look through the books for 30 minutes and you're reading. Well, no, you're like rolling on the floor and I'm patting you on the back saying, keep reading. Um, So what they have found is that basically we have to make specific connections in the brain in order to learn to read. So we have to connect vision, speech, and meaning. And so they found that if we um, use phonics along with tons of different other things that children, 95% of children can learn to read. So, um, my big mission is just to teach preschool teachers and parents that there's so many little things that we can do in relation to that, um, that will get you ready for success so that you're not struggling. So, so what are some of those tips? <laughs> you yes. know, I'm like, wait, what? I mean, my kids are older, but still like, what are some of the tips that you have for preschool parents? Cause I, you know, becoming a parent, even for me with degrees in early childhood, yes. it's kind of like, what do I do now? <laughs> you exactly. know? So I always have give five. That's like my big, if you can set aside five intentional minutes a day and um, nursery rhymes, anything 
with repeated experiences. So basically what they found is that children learn through repetition. Um, and that's a big one. So if we read a book about penguins one time and never read it again, we're not going to learn. We're not going to know those facts. But if we do the thing, same things again and again. So anything with repetition, nursery rhymes, and really going deeper. Like I always, my biggest tip is a post-it note. So put a post-it note and write syllables on it. And you're probably like, why would I do syllables with a three-year-old? But they can actually start doing syllables as young as three. So if you have that by the door and you say, we're going to the playground or um, let's eat our goldfish. So if you just stick that simple word up, you're, it will remind you just to kind of do it naturally through play. That is so awesome because I know that's a, a, a technique. My uh, daughter did it, um, used it for speech because she was behind in speech. But yeah, the clapping out the syllables, like I'm wondering if she had learned it earlier, how that would have been, but you know. And that's, um, we might get into this later, but that was my, that's like kind of how my passion came was through my own daughter. Um, when COVID hit, she, I downloaded a phonological awareness packet and my son was in preschool. So she was in kindergarten, like three fourths of the way through. My son was in preschool. So I was doing preschool stuff with him. She was doing virtual learning. So she would join us and I started doing rhyming and some syllable stuff and she couldn't do any of it. So just like you said, hmm, I, first of all, I didn't even, I was a kindergarten teacher as well, but I didn't even realize that we should have been doing some of these things. Yes. Is that a great preschool? Um, I just, a lot of preschool teachers just don't realize that these things are important and that they can do them really easily. So long story short, she now has a reading disability. But again, if I would have known, okay, 20% of children have a deficit in biological awareness. So if I would have known that, I could have done so many more early intervention things. Um, to fix that. Right, but don't shut on yourself. <laughs> I always say that. What well, is? I mean, like my daughter recently, both of them actually recently got diagnosed with dyslexia. And I'm like, how did I not know this? You know, yeah. my, my kids, I think we have, our kids are the same age. They're first and fourth grade. Oh yeah. Um, second. And yeah. yeah. And I'm like, how did I not realize it with all of my training? So to listeners out there, you're a mom, you're a dad, you're a parent, you're a guardian don't beat yourself up because exactly. even us with the educations mm -hmm. we have didn't think about doing this stuff. Exactly. So that's why we're doing the show for you guys is to teach you parents how to help your kids in a natural way. Exactly. And if you try these little things and you become aware, oh, this is not clicking, then you are just one step closer to giving them the tools that they need early because we all know early intervention is, is the best. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Hard, like, like I, because at that age when they're, they're sponges, exactly. I mean, if you think about it, mm -hmm. that when children are born, that they have no language, you know, and in those first two years, they, what their brain is developing, they just soak it all in. It's, it's so, amazing. Right. So put this extra stuff in and they're just going to be that much more prepared. I um, at my current preschool, there's a wonderful team teachers. They've been there for like 35 years and the children come to me as like a special. So I'm like a literacy teacher. They come and they have the forest classroom. And um, the first day she was like, oh, this is not going to go well. Like this is 
a little too structured. Um, and it wasn't so much as we were still playing, but we were doing syllables and compound words. And um, like a month in, she's like, I had no clue that my, that these kids could even do these things. And you should see like, she really embraced it and has done all the things I've taught her. And I mean, her kids are, I mean, they are reading, not because she's forcing them to just because they can. It's, it's pretty amazing. Like you said, they're just little sponges. Yeah. Yeah. It's natural. You're not sitting there and forcing them to sound out the words and memorize the sight words exactly. when it's in it. And I think what, so I'll date myself a little bit. When uh, I went into early childhood, that was when they started the, um, what did they call it? I can't even remember, but like that you would do the whole classroom based on a book. So like oh, okay. everything would, yes, yes. Same, same. And, mm-hmm. you know, or like the letter, like Mm-hmm. be weak and so everything would have to do with the letter b and stuff like mm-hmm. that which i mean it worked to an extent yeah. but i'm sure adding other stuff in like do teachers like i know i have some teachers listening do teachers need to change the curriculum or change how they're teaching to to put these stuff say, in? well it's funny you brought up the letter a week um because that is a big battle that is still in preschool to, to this day um And so one of the things I really like to teach them is that you have to teach the letters in cycles. So that becomes a point of contention sometimes because that's just not how a lot of people have done things. And it works for some people. That's just, it's just what they like to do. But I always say the example of like Abby. So Abby, children learn the letters and their names first. Like research has proven that like if your name's Abby, you know, A, B, B, Y. So Abby goes to school Week one, she learns A. Well, guess what? Abby already knows A. So she spends a whole week on A. Then guess what week two is? B. And then she spends a whole entire week on B, but Abby already knows the letter B. So she has spent 10 days doing things that she already knows. Um, So I kind of try to teach people that if we can cycle through those letters. So if we can do like first introduce A to Z and there are going to be some kids that are picking up on that. And then you kind of slow it down and do two letters a week and really teach those. And then by the third cycle, you're looking at um, your assessments. So like, okay, nobody knows why. So I'm going to spend more time on, on why. So more of a, you know, holistic approach. So to kind of answer that, I do think that we do need to look at, you know, how we can beef up or change some of the things that we've always been doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, this morning I was having a conversation with a neighbor and she is from another country. And so it was very like her child's in kindergarten. um, And she's like, it's so structured and they're requiring them to read. I'm like, I know, because that's that's Montgomery County. Like when I was a kid, kindergarten was I'm trying to remember, I think it was still optional. Yep. And it was half day. So you didn't learn no. to read no. developmentally until first grade. Exactly. And now we're forcing these kids to learn so early. Yeah. Um, but that's not what you're doing. You're teaching the pre-reading skills. Exactly. I don't know if you've heard, and I don't want to stump, like I heard that, and it's been confirmed with other people, that crawling is directly connected with reading. Really? I'm, you haven't heard that? No. Yeah. It was study on it and I a physical therapist confirmed it and there was somebody else I don't remember I know there was somebody else that confirmed it but said even if you're older and you crawl around on the floor it can help you 
with reading. And it's something about, like you said before, about the the, the brain and the vision yeah. all connecting. So if you think about when you're crawling yeah. and the connections and stuff, and there's something, yeah. So like crawling sooner, like children who crawl sooner can read sooner or? No, no just crawling. Just, like, just crawling helps build reading. Yes. And must have to do with cross lateral, like crossing the midline and how that connects like your left brain to your right, right, right side of the brain. I wonder if it has something to do with that. Yeah. That's interesting. Like the study was like the, those people, those kids that didn't, that skipped crawling because some kids went straight to walking and crawled. Mm -hmm. They noticed had issues. That is so interesting. Crazy, I'll right? that up. Oh my goodness. I know. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll try to find, I'll try and find the research and link it, uh, yeah. put some links on it. But it was just, it was fascinating to me because things you don't think about it. And you know what they said, somebody else said the riding the bicycle also. It must, yeah, it has to be with that, like crossing the midline and how you really are making those connections to different parts of your brain. Right. That's one, one thing um, as I've gotten to more into the early childhood field is just like, the brain research is so fascinating and every single training I do, I always do a little bit on the brain because we don't, most, most of us know nothing about what's going on in our children's brain. Um, so it really is eye opening. So I'll have to look up that. That's, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I keep, I love that you keep saying making the connections in the brain because that's, what's so important that people mm-hmm. don't realize. And I didn't realize for the longest time, but like making the connections in the brain on something, on one thing, how it impacts everything else. Yes. And that as a child, you're building those connections. Exactly. You know, it's like you have a foundation and then, you know, it yeah. builds off of that. I always yeah. like to say this too, um, with, so one thing that I, I read was that temperament. So your brain can always change and grow. It used to be like a thought that once it got a certain size, that was it. But they've proven that like your brain can always change and grow. But the one thing that can't change is your temperament. So um, I always love to point that out too to parents. Like even with like my own husband, like sometimes it helps me. This is who you are and I can't change this about you. So it it gives you a little bit more compassion, I think, towards your children. If you start like putting that in perspective that like, okay, this, this actually is who they are and nothing I can do is going to change. (laughs) I hadn't heard that. And that's scaring me. I'm like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) It really makes you think about people in your life. Right. My well, my girls are both very, very strong-willed. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I say often, and my husband says it too, is that um that the characteristics I want my children to have when they're young adults really don't work on six and nine year olds. It's true. <laughs> you know? That's right. You know, yeah. I want you to be assertive. I want you yeah. to question everything, but exactly. not when it's mommy. <laughs> yep. I know. That's um always like the strong willed child, you're like, they're going to be something one day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. She's going to be leading something. And I know you brought up your child. Um, talk to me a little bit about like how your child helped springboard where you are now. Oh, well, it was a journey. Um, I was kind of the opposite of you as far as I always knew there was something not quite right. Um, so when like when COVID hit and I started noticing all the phonological awareness things, I was not, I guess I wasn't aware 
I was on your side that like, I, I didn't know that she was even supposed to know those things. Um, I wasn't working on them. Like I just, I had never been taught that even through college. Um, but I always just knew she's just so fun and loving and easy going and mature. So she always just got passed through every time. And I would hear her read and like, it would bring tears to my eyes, but it, everybody's like, Oh, she's average. She's average. And then when, um, we were in Arkansas when COVID hit and she did go back to school. Like they were right back into school that, that year after. So it was still 2020, I guess. Um, so she was in school all those years. And then we moved to North Carolina. And I think the first thing they said was like, Oh, she's like nowhere close to any, anyone who we would consider an IEP for. And I was like, okay, well, those children were probably, at home while their parents were working, like my child was in school. I've been working with her for her entire life, basically. So it's unfair for you just to say, oh, compared to these other children, like we should be comparing her to herself. Um, Long story short, we went the private testing route um, and she still, she doesn't have an IEP um, because she does have a learning disability, but she can, she can hang enough. Um, so I am able to get her Orton Gillingham through school, which is great because her dibbles and all her phonological awareness stuff is so much, she has such a huge discrepancy there. So, um, but uh, I'm sure, you know, and for all the parents out there, like just advocate for your child because it's, I'm, I feel fortunate enough that I know these things, but so many people don't. So, yeah, yeah, no. And I, I went the private evaluation route also, um, and I, trust me, I love school evaluations. I think they're great to an extent, you know, yeah. but they don't go as deep. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I find interesting is that the schools, like the psychologist does one part and then the special ed teacher does the other part. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about it together rather than when you do it private, they intertwine it all. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that's so important. Um, but, and it was also over the summer and I know lighter staff mm-hmm. over the summer in yeah. the schools and stuff. Uh, did your child, did your daughter get um, an IEP for dyslexia? Yes. yes. So my older one, we're working on get. She had one for speech. Uh-huh. Um, so now we're gonna switch over. Um, and my younger one got it. Just got it for um, um, for dyslexia. And we're we're we just did eligibility. So we have the IEP meeting. I think it's next week. Um, mm-hmm. So which is always interesting because I'm like, do you want me to write the IEP or do you guys want to write the IEP? <laughs> Because yeah. I can just rewrite what you wrote. I can just start it for you. <laughs> right? Or I can just start and do it all by myself. Because, yeah. um, I mean, like, most people know me. I'm a little bit different as an attorney because I have the special education experience. Yeah. So I, you know, I had a, I had a client ask once, well, after we get the evaluation, who's going to be able to do the IEP? I'm like, me? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> I've written hundreds of them (laughs) and we've written even more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah, so she's getting the IEP and like, and as you said, I know, and everybody else, early intervention being so important, we're also going to be getting an outside reading tutor Um, because it's my understanding and it might be different there, but my understanding is Orton Gillingham, the way you actually have to teach it, Mm -hmm. the school can't really do it fully the way it should be our in our district um they all got the training and like one-on-one Orton it's crazy so wow I was more than happy with that um 
not having IP, I'm like, sure, I'll, I'll be more than happy to take this. As long as we're getting the money too. Right. As long as we're getting the services, that's what's important. Exactly. Right? That's interesting because one of the things that a lot of people don't know is that on IEPs, you can actually get teacher training really? on the IEP. I didn't realize. So that. it's, it's, services for the child or for the benefit of the child. So like if you have a child with dyslexia, make sure the teacher has training and it doesn't necessarily have to be OG, but some sort of training on dyslexia. Yeah. Um, Which is interesting. I've gotten it a few times. So that makes perfect sense. Right. There's always pushback from the schools, but Mm -hmm. You know, when you pull out IDEA, which I tell my clients all the time, like you don't necessarily need the attorney there, but well, it says right here for the benefit of, you know, um, schools tend to listen when you are able to quote the law back at them. Quote the exact law. Right. Whether you're a lawyer or not, (laughs) when you, you know, I I tell people like I was talking to an attorney, (laughs) just say that at a meeting and see what happens. Just see what happens. And they'll probably listen. Yeah. Yeah, definitely listen more. Um, so I know I'm like trying to think what else I know. What so what is it? What I'm thinking of? How do you determine it's a good preschool? Like, do you have tips of like questions for parents yeah. should ask? It's so tricky because kind of there's two perspectives. It's like some preschools are just so academic that like. One child, I tutor a preschooler and he is already learning flashcards at school, which to me is not like they don't even know their letter names or sounds. So like you can't, that's a whole nother ballgame. But then the other part is completely play-based. And so I'm kind of in the middle of like merging the two, like, like syllables. We can't just play and magically learn syllables, right? Like someone has to teach that skill. Um, and then we can play games and practice and that type of thing. So it's a very controversial, like, you know, kind of thing, um, like everything in education, like everything. So I don't think it's going to be really what, what someone is really what, what their desire is. Like there's been a huge push for play-based preschool, which is great that yes, children learn best through play, but I just always challenge people to think a little bit beyond like, that's great, but what curriculum do they use? Are they teaching the letter names and sounds? Do they work on phonological awareness skills? Those are the two big ones I always say, phonological awareness and then letter sounds. If you learn your sounds, you will be set for life. <laughs> like that right. is, And if you do it, you can teach that stuff play-based. Exactly. I use, um, we teach sounds through motions. So like we say, who let the A out? Ah. And we, we have this whole dance. And I mean, I get emails from parents that they're like singing a song in the shower. And so, you know, you can do both. So that's not really, it's so hard for me to say like, this is what to look for in a preschool. But for me personally, play-based, but then how how do we teach within the play? Yeah, so, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Because it's, I mean, it's hard. Like, you know, we said, you know, also, you know, as parents, we, you know, you're coming home from the hospital with a baby and you're like, 
Now what? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody told me these things. <laughs> right? Like, it's like, yeah. wait a minute. Now, where's all the nurses? Yeah. Um, and that's the same, like, every stage of parenting, I feel. Exactly. You know, Whether it's like behavior. You're like, okay, nobody taught me that this kid's going to be yelling at me. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which is what scares me about when you said the temperament doesn't change. Because I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I've got how many more years of this? <laughs> Exactly. Um, I mean, not that it's bad, but she, my kids are definitely strong-willed um, and have their own thoughts and ideas of the way things should be. Yeah. <laughs> so. But that's a good thing, too. You just have it to is. It is. And nurture it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And that's a thing, you know, it's interesting, like, how you, knowing that, how you can rephrase things and do mm-hmm. things to get them to do what you want without the power struggle. Exactly. Exactly. You know? Like kind for of. mine all the time, if I make it a race, they're in. Exactly. That's <laughs> the key with, with anything. Like just make it fun, you know, right. make it a game, make it up. My son is only motivated by like material things, which is so, so hard. It's like, if you say like, or it's like almost like bribery, you know what I mean? And it's not a good, it's not a good skill but you have to kind of figure out how you can still raise a, a decent child within that realm you know it's just right. learning learning their little yeah. tricks and I mean it's bribery but you know it's positive reinforcement to exactly, put positive exactly. On it. as long as you're and, not like dangling it and you have you know he does well with a checklist things like that where it's like right. you achieved your goal so then you because that's I mean we all work for a reason right exactly so. Yeah. And that and that's the thing is like as long as it's not a oh look, you got out of bed, here's a candy. Exactly. You know, exactly. it's, it's exactly. a little bit more than that. Exactly. Um and I wanted to go back to because I know um what you were saying about your child with COVID. Um, you know, people ask me all the time, like, do I see a lot more IEPs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the answer is yes. Do you? And yeah. is it is it because of COVID and the impact or because of parents are more aware? I don't know, but it's just, have you, what have you seen with the COVID impact with reading? So the biggest thing, honestly, is what we have seen social, emotional, um, because these, they just weren't around other children. They weren't in preschool. So, you know, they, they lost that cope, a lot of that coping mechanisms. Um, but then the fine motor is also another really big one. Um, Interesting. Yeah, more than anything else. And I honest, I honestly think it's because of all the screen time, probably. Um, yeah. Just this doesn't take any bit of this, you know. So yeah. I would say those are the two biggest things that we see at preschool, um, which I I find to be, I'm sure, a direct correlation to. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's. It's interesting that you brought up screen time because I know, you know, before I was a parent, like, oh, my child's never going to have screen time. (laughs) It's going to be limited. Yeah, (laughs) whatever. Um, um, But I didn't even think about it that that's what they're used to. That's how they're used Mm -hmm. to learning. Yeah. Especially our elementary kids, you know, for a year and a half. And it's interesting, like a lot of of them have like never held scissors. Um, And I think like three, three, I think it's just like intimidating too. Like you don't always know what to do if you're not like out and about 
with other children and people and at the library where they have access, just things like that, that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Um, I think we're, right. seeing, we're seeing a lot. Of and I want to make sure I make the point of parents do not feel guilty. We did exactly. what we had to do to get through COVID. Exactly. You know? Oh my goodness. <laughs> when, um, we, when we moved from Arkansas back to North Carolina and my daughter was virtual, we were in a tiny apartment trying to find a house. And I was like, I, I was at home with my children during COVID. Like I was not working at that time. I could not, I did like one zoom call and I was like, no, <laughs> this would never have worked. Like you had to do whatever you had to do to get through that. time. Of, of course. You know, I, I remember. So when we first shut down at the end of that year, um, my husband and I, like he was working from home. I'm, I can work from home. Um, and we were like shifting up, like when we would take the kids. Yes. And I realized that I always wound up with the kids during the instruction time. <laughs> I'm like, this isn't fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, so something I did is I started field trip Fridays and I was like, they're not going to school Fridays. Yeah. We're going out and about. That's and, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, that's it as parents, like we did what we could do and, and exactly though that's one of the things I know it's been hard for me too. And I'm sure it's hard for other parents is to not like shoulda, coulda, woulda. Exactly. Yep. You know, because, you know, I, I used to tell my dad all the time, um, yeah, you screwed up when we were kids, but you did the best you could with what exactly. you knew exactly. at that time. That's why um, I always tell yeah. new parents, like you're doing the best you can. Like nobody's like, I'm going to wake up and just suck today. <laughs> like, right. you, know? so, you are doing the best you can. Yeah. And that, and that's, that's a lot of the reason for my show and my YouTube channel is like, just to get information out there for parents. Absolutely. Like even, you know, you don't need a turn an attorney. You don't need a tutor. That's fine. It's still valuable information exactly. as a parent, as a teacher, as an auntie, as a babysitter, you know, like almost anybody. Um, yeah, it's so I'm trying to think. Um I know like so we already went through I think we hit everything. I'm trying to think what else we are like if I have anything else that I that's burning on the early childhood reading stuff that I'm thinking that parents would know. Um I mean you gave the tips of clapping out the sim syllables. Yeah. And just being and I'm sure like the rhyming games. Yes, anything. So. That's like the nursery rhymes. I feel like Put like the CDs, the old school, I don't think there's CDs anymore. We had CDs still, but yeah. when my kids were little, but like any of those nursery rhyme songs. Um, another one is back and forth conversations. So I always have said, um, I, you know, how's your day? What's your child say? Good. Well, they have proven, uh, it was actually a study out of MIT that the more back and forth conversations that you're, you have with your child, the bigger their brain actually is. So rather than just saying like, how's your day? Good. I always try. I even like, I have to do carpool at the end of the day at preschool. And I used to always be like, did you have a good day? But now I just start talking about my day and then guess what? That helps them right. start engaging. So rather than like a yes, no peppering with them with questions, just trying to, um, chat about your day. So I, I do a, um, I have two things online, free resources. One is coffee chat with your child. And it's a question of the day that you can chat with your child over a cup of coffee. Fun. And then it'll have, um, 
usually another literacy component, like you might be clapping syllables if you want to do more. And then the other one is literacy in the bathtub. So um, just like something, you're both stuck in the bathtub. You're both in the bathroom together. So like, let's rhyme bubbles, bubbles, mubbles, pubbles. Um, it's just very simple, silly things that you can do over coffee or in the bathtub. And, you know, it brings back that my parents, what we used to do, and I do it with my kids now also, is the um, the animal alphabet game. Yes. So where, you know, like you you say an animal, and then the last letter of your yes. animal, the first letter the next person has to do. Um, yes. And it's fun, because then my kids have like, we ran out of animals, because it was an eight-hour drive when we went yes. there. And so yes. to, to items, you know, to just things. Exactly, anything. Yeah. Um, even like A to Z, we always play this like before they can watch their iPad. Like if we're on a long trip, we have to find the alphabet A to Z. Like that's something you can easily do oh. with little ones oh. too. Um, so yeah, just anything that is, if you just, the thing is I always say is just think for just a minute and then make it happen. Like what can you do that takes two minutes? It's, and it's hard. It's hard to be like, you know, be intentional. But it really, once you think about it, like it takes 15 seconds to sing the ABCs. 15 seconds. Yeah. And I know for me, like remembering, like I I learn a tip and a technique. Oh, that's so awesome. It's so easy. But then you get into life as a parent. Exactly. (laughs) As a working parent. Um, And I love, yeah, I love your idea of stickies. Yeah. You know, just put a sticker on your, you know, on the kid's mirror where they brush their teeth. And while they're brushing their teeth, run through the ABCs or, you know. Exactly. So things like that. Put the sticker in the car. This has been so awesome. I love this. Um, I was just looking. I know you said your your favorite book, Love You Forever. That's the one with the, the kid on the toilet, with the toilet paper. Yes. And that goes through like the life cycle. I can't read it without crying. Yeah. Yeah. That awesome <laughs> one. I do love that. Yes. I put um, a children's book instead of a, an adult book. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's, you know, I mean, if you think back of, you know, um, Shel Silverstein, yeah. like the giving tree, you yes, know, that's another good one. Yep. That's life. And then um, many different colors. I think it was, I don't remember My, the name. Many colored days. Yes. Many colored yeah. days. I think that one, um, you know, there's so many kids books that, you know, some adults need to go back and read them. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So, thank you so much, Melissa, yes, for being for on the show. Me. It was great. You've been listening to Stress-Free IEP with your host, Francis Schefter. Remember, you do not need to do it all alone. You can reach Francis through SchefterLaw.com, where prior episodes are also posted. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and sharing the show with others through YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. 